It's hard to leave Vrindavan, isn't it? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Come back later. <laughs> so, uh, we're still in the same country, though. When, <laughs> when we stopped this morning, uh, Shantanu had fallen in love uh, again after having his heart broken. With such a tea had gone to her father, and she and her father placed an impossible demand on him, a, a demand that he could not fulfill, namely that um, that the father break his promise to his son. So, then as I explained, Bhishma, uh, Deva Vrata, the son, found out what was going on. The father at first tried to said it was something else. When the son asked his father, why are you so unhappy? And the father said, well, you are my beloved son, but uh, we have a very dangerous family business. They're warriors. And he quoted some proverb that for a, a warrior to have one son is like having no son, because the life expectancy is not always <laughs> that long for warriors. And he left it at that. So when David Rutte found out the real problem that he wanted to marry this young girl, and having seen his father suffer so much, uh, he went there to the fishing village and said to the fisher king that I want to bring your daughter to my father. And if the problem is throne, I will renounce the throne for my father. So the Fisher King was quite astonished at this, that here this young, handsome prince was willing to give up his claim on the, the greatest throne in the world out of love for his father. So the Fisher King, who was quite um, conniving, said that it's amazing that you're willing to do that, but there's still one problem, and that is your son. If you study the history of monarchy, uh, you'll find that um, it really is like this. Uh, there, there was a period for, I think, for at least a century in the history of Rome where uh, not a single emperor died in his sleep, and actually, uh, this was the same for the Mughal Empire. They, they, they could go decades and, and you know, over a century where literally not one ruler died peacefully. So, so the history of monarchy is uh, checkered, to say the least. So the Fisher King said that, um, what about your son? And at that point, there, there was another condition which must have been there. That, of course, Bijan would not fight for another kingdom against an eventual claimant to the Kuru throne. But at that point, B uh, Deva Brata made a vow, made a, it was called a terrible vow, terrible in the sense, or, or, or awful, the old sense of the English word awful, like awesome, in which he said that he would not marry, he would never have children, he would observe lifelong celibacy. 
this was considered to be a, a, a very difficult vow because he was a passionate warrior. He wasn't a yogi in the conventional sense. He was had all this royal blood sort of burning in his veins. And so he vowed that he would never have a family, he would never marry, he would never have children. And he would do this for his father. And this vow was considered to be so almost frightening that, that, that a warrior could make such a vow that uh, from the heavens there resounded the sound Bhishma. The word Bhishma means sort of uh, almost frightening or, or something which is so heavy that it, it, it fills people with awe. So, and, and that became his name. In a sense, the gods changed his name to Bhishma because of that vow. And then he took Satyavati home and gave her to his father. Of course, Satyavati was very happy about this. And they married and had two sons named Chitrangada and the Chitravirya. And well, it seemed that now everyone was, well, everything had been done and everyone was happy except I suppose Bhishma had to be content with his devotion to his father. But uh, things started to take a bad turn. And this, again, is the same time that the Asuras are starting to infiltrate the earth in greater numbers. But because of Shantanu, they still can't act. Shantanu is too powerful. He himself is, has extraordinary power. And so, uh, in a sense, the world is still safe. But then Chitrangada gets older. He retires. He goes to the forest. He passes away. And what happens with his two sons? Chitrangada is put on the Kuru throne, but soon after, still as a young man, he dies in battle with a Gandharva. The story in the ancient text is Gandharvas are, um, did any of you see Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Elves. <laughs> so the Gandharvas are sort of this liminal uh, species that tends to come in and out of earthly affairs, and uh, often there's a tension between them and human beings. So there was a Gandharva, a powerful Gandharva named Chitrangada, and uh, I, guess, I guess he had a little too much Gandharva testosterone or something. But he, so he challenged the Kuru king and said that uh, you have to change your name. It's sort of like this town's only big for one <laughs> so he insisted that the Kuru King, of course, the Kuru King, this young, proud warrior, was like, you know, that, that, that's obviously an absurd request. So they went to battle and they fought for a very long time. And finally, the Gandharva actually used, or they have supernatural weapons, and killed the Kuru King, which was, uh, of course, a disaster for Satyavati and for the Kurus. But then the younger brother, Vichitravirya, still quite young, uh, took the throne. He was not yet old enough to really govern independently, so Bhishma had to step in and sort of govern as his regent on his behalf. Anyway, at that point, uh, or eventually Vichitravirya, who had taken no vow of celibacy, came to the age of marriage, and of course it was considered extremely important. There's a tremendous concern you find in, in, in this ancient culture with, especially for a king, to have a male heir to keep the dynasty.
kingdom of Kashi, uh, Benares, uh, that the king had three very beautiful daughters whose names were Amba, Ambika, and Ambalika, which in Sanskrit means Amba, Little Amba, and Little Bitty Amba. <laughs> so, that was her name. You know Spanish, Amba, Ambita, and Ambitita. <laughs> So, these girls were about to have or a Swayamvara ceremony. And this is something which is quite prominent in warrior culture in, in this part of the world, ancient times. Swayamvara literally means personal choice. It's personal choice. Swayam means personal, Vara means choice. Personal choice. And this was a case where it's very common. It's very common in, in, among warriors only. Where the princess, in consultation with her father, would, uh, together they would create a challenge to all the qualified princes of the world. They would have to perform some extraordinary feat of valor or of skill with weapons. And uh, whoever was able to do this won the hand of the princess. And of course, Generally, the princess and her father would sort of, not rate, but they would tilt the challenge or they would create a specific challenge that would favor the prince that they wanted to win. And so in that sense, uh, the princess creating this challenge, a test of, of valor and skill, would then give her heart or would then marry the winner and, and she would put a garland on him and in that way choose him as her her husband. So, uh, there, this was sort of like a triple Swayamvara. And uh, for these three girls, and all the princes came. Bhishma, that's very interesting, because Vichitravirya was the Kuru king, and yet Bhishma sort of left him at home and said, I'll go get the girls for you. <laughs> so, um, that itself is interesting because he was still a young man and I guess maybe Bhishma being very protective of his, uh, his stepbrother after having witnessed the death of the older of, of, of uh, the other brother Chitrangada perhaps Bhishma was very concerned that I mean, it, would be, it would be a horrible tragedy if both sons died and there would be no cruel king and so he went personally and what's interesting here is that although the Kuru king was um, the leading monarch, uh, it was not like, in a sense, the sort of the later Roman Empire where there's an emperor who actually governs everything. Uh, it's more like the European model uh, at the time of the Magna Carta, if you know anything about European history where the king was known as primo entre pares in Latin, which means first among equals. So, so there's, no, there's no record whatsoever in any of these texts where an emperor actually interfered or, or, got, or uh, took charge of the internal affairs of any other kingdom. It was uh, more the Kuru monarch would provide a type of, would lead an alliance of other kings, which would provide for everybody's security. 
and in return, uh, other kingdoms would offer some form of tribute to the leading king to maintain this alliance for security. Something like that. Anyway, it's a whole other topic that the political history of these ancient cultures. But in any case, <coughs> when Bhishma, what's interesting is that Bhishma rode there, and it wasn't again like one of those, you know, Hollywood movies about the Roman Empire where the emperor comes with the Roman eagle and everybody just, you know, bows and steps aside and he kind of does what he wants. It wasn't like that. Bhishma really had to compete, even though he was representing the Kuru dynasty. And some people thought, like, what in the world is he doing here? <laughs> and so there were quite a few uh, sort of, you could say, unkind jokes at his expense because, of course, it was famous in the world that Bees had taken this vow of celibacy and here he shows up at a wedding thing where, you know, you, he's going to compete for these girls. And so there were all kinds of, uh, there, was all, there was all kind uh, kinds of joking and, and sarcastic remarks. Bhishma, of course, was the most powerful warrior in the world, and so, in a sense, he had the last laugh. And what he did was, rather than competing with the other princes or fighting with them or whatever, trying to be challenged, he just went and put them on his chariot and rode off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at that point, of course, all the other princes, these are young, highly passionate, proud out-of-control princess. And so when Bhishma rode off with these girls, they went crazy. And they all attacked Bhishma, and Bhishma thought, oh, we're going to have some fun here. So <coughs> Bhishma, of course, somewhat easily defeated all these princes. He had all these powers, including things he learned from his mother, who was a goddess. And um, I guess the girls just had to duck fight. I always kind of wonder, like, does he put them on the chariot? It doesn't, the text doesn't really mention what they did. But, um, <laughs> anyway, somehow or other, he was able to defeat the other princes without uh, having uh, the girls decapitated. So, <laughs> then as he, as he was riding off, as he was riding off, one prince in particular would not give up, and that was um, Shalva. That was Shalva. And he challenged Bhishma and really fought hard, and Bhishma defeated him. And for the princes to be defeated in public or even private was, was quite humiliating. They were extremely proud. So then Bhishma took the girls home, but as on the way home, the oldest girl, Umba, told Bhishma that um, I really have a problem. And that is, of course, on the one hand, to be taken to marry into the Kuru dynasty was extremely prestigious for any princess. And in a sense, the kingdom of Kashi was, uh, couldn't compare to the Kuru kingdom at that time. Interestingly, the Kuru kingdom had its uh, capital near Delhi, so that part of India was always sort of a, a, a political center. Sinapur on the Ganges River, uh, present Delhi is on the Jamuna River. So if you go, it's called the Doab uh, from Hindi, the two rivers, Doab. And uh, anyway, so she said that um, actually I've already given my heart to another person, and that was the Shal that was Shalva, and everything had kind of been arranged in the Swayambara that Shalva was going to win her. That was already had been choreographed. 
And so she told Beesman that, um, what are you going to do now? Because I've actually already given my heart to that other person. And so by that time, they, they reached there, and, and, and Beesman spoke with uh, his young charge, Richard Treveria, and they decided that it's best to send her back to Sheldon. Because if she's already given her heart to him and he loves her, then she's let, let her go back. And the other two girls, who had no previous commitment, uh, were quite happy to marry into the greatest dynasty in the world. They thought it wasn't a problem. So, but now, when Amba leaves, of course, with a proper escort and so on, at this point begins one of the great, uh, I think one of the great stories in Mahabharata, and, and sort of somewhat tragic story, but um, and that is Amba goes, she's taken royal escort, she's taken to the kingdom of Shalva, and he turns out to be a real jerk. <laughs> Not the first time the girl discovered too late. <laughs> so, Umba is, is very romantic romantic and she's really in love and she she thinks he's going to be so happy that I got out of this and, and I came back to him. I gave up uh, a position as the first queen of the greatest dynasty in the world. I gave that up out of love for you. And so she goes there innocently you could say with a pure heart to tell him the good news and he reacts in a very different way. Because from his point of view, he was humiliated. And the idea that he's going to, and, and this is the way that warriors would speak, that to take the remnants of Bhishma, to take charity from Bhishma. It was, Brahmins would receive charity. Warriors were forbidden to take charity. It was, that was their culture. A warrior would never take charity. And so the idea that Bhishma had defeated him, humiliated him in public, and now would give him back the girl, for him was like worse than death. And so he wouldn't talk to her about it. Like, what are you talking about? And and also, they, they had these very strict. Sometimes uh, we're going to what we're going to find is that sometimes this very strict morality led to moral disasters. So in this case, also the fact that and this is very much from some of these dharma shastras, the fact that she had spent the night in another man's house was like, you're off the marriage market. <laughs> because of course when, when she arrived there she didn't just you know they didn't just send her on her way immediately because it was a long trip by chariot from Kashi to Hasanapur and so she spent the night or two or something and caught her breath and they sent her off and so the fact that she spent the night without anyone from her own family just alone without anyone not being protected by her own family she spent the night in this other King's place and all the other circumstances. So Shalva basically was like, I don't even know you. I don't want to know you. What are you doing here? Are you trying to sort of like, uh, you know, rub salt in my wounds or just like, you know. For him, it was just like increasing his humiliation. And she kept pleading with him and telling him that you don't understand that I, you know, I did this for you. And uh, anyway, as I said, he was sort of a royal jerk. And 
and you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't hear of it. His pride was more important than anything like her love for him. And so he just sent her away. And so she went back to Bhishma and said that um, she went back to Bhishma and said he rejected me. So now I have to marry Vichitravirya because she began to understand. This is a girl, to, to really get the uh, sort of the heart-wrenching drama of this, this was a girl who from birth had been raised as a very honored princess. Sort of had the perfect life. Nothing ever went wrong. I mean, she was, uh, she was a princess in the full sense of the term. And suddenly, and here she is at her swine vara, the happiest moment of her life when she's going to choose her husband and become a queen and so on. And suddenly, literally within a few hours, uh, everything is going horribly wrong. And when she goes back to Bhishma, he says, I, you know, I'm sorry for what happened to you, but you spent the night in Shalva's house. <laughs> and... Uh, now sometimes, e even among uh, like, sort of like popular Hindus, Hinduism, sometimes it's thought that Bhishma refused to marry her because he had taken his vow of celibacy, but actually what really ultimately uh, enraged Amba and led to Bhishma's death later on in the Mahabharata was that he would not accept her for his brother, Vichitravirya. So you have this tragic situation where here is a, a princess who actually is telling the truth. She's actually telling the truth. Her behavior has actually been impeccable. She's done everything. She acted out of love, and yet, I mean, from, from the moral point of view, she acted perfectly. She's completely pure and faultless. And yet, she goes to one powerful man after the other who refuses to believe her. And so, um, it'll actually cost both of them in their lives. In any case, uh, they refuse to believe her. And uh, I, I think it, in, in, in some versions of the Mahabharata, where at any time they, they kind of wanted to spice up the story, she goes back and forth, she sort of does this, uh, you know, shuttle pleading, back and forth, you know, many, you know, jam, this time, you know, back and forth, back and forth. That, that really, uh, I think, is not actually what happened, what, not, it's not what would have happened. It's kind of this story, uh, at a certain point, kind of got turned in some ways into a farcical story, in addition to the tragic part of it. But the actual story is that basically that Shalva rejected her, and then Bhishma rejected her. And um, her life just collapsed overnight. And by this time, no one would accept her. She, I mean, she understood that she was completely damaged goods. And that suddenly, as I said, this girl who her entire life had a perfect life as a princess, everything went just as it should. And suddenly, on the day she was supposed to choose her husband, everything suddenly goes wrong, and then within a, a couple of days, her life has been destroyed. Because people won't believe her, even when she tells the truth. So this is a, this is a very powerful story in Mahabharata. It's, um, it's quite moving. And... So at that point, she is, her shock and her initial heartbreak with Shalva that he rejected her, her panic and, and, and all these emotions, 
to your father. Go back to your family. Uh, because there's, there's really nothing else left for her. So just go back to your family. And by this time, and we have to remember, she also has royal blood. She also has this, I mean, she's a female warrior. And so by this time, she tells everybody that, um, a little technical thing. Oh, there we go. Can you hear it back there? So at this, at this point, this is a very amazing story in Mahabharata because this is a culture, an ancient, conservative, religious culture in which uh, men always must protect women and they have to always, you know, care for them. And she takes an independent decision. She says that she will not go back to her family, that she's really going to strike out on her own. And she has, and... Uh, now, her one purpose in life is revenge for, against the people that destroyed her life. So she goes to a, um, she goes out to the forest, this community of yogis, of sages. It's very interesting. Uh, and then among, and these are elderly sages. These are sort of elderly yogis and sages, senior people living out in the forest. And among them is an I, I believe it's her, it's her grandfather who had retired to the forest. And <clears throat> what's interesting is it gives you a picture of what the culture was really like, that even though they're all renounced persons and sannyasis and so on, when they hear her story, these renounced ascetics and sages actually weep and, 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 and out of pity. They, they feel so bad. And uh, her grandfather, who's a renowned sage, actually takes her on his lap and he's, he's crying when he hears the story, and so they, they also tell her that um, what else can you do? You have to go back to your family. What, you know, where else can you go? It's not like, it wasn't like nowadays, we just sort of, well, I'll just move to New York or something. <laughs> I'll go back to school. I mean, it wasn't that kind of culture. So um, she decides that she, she will have revenge. And she thinks about it. She thinks about Bhishma. She thinks about Shalvan. She's actually quite angry at both of them. And she decides that ultimately it was Bhishma who originally took her and who would refuse even to marry her to his brother. And so she decides that um, even though Shalva, she now realizes, is a, you know, fill in the blank, <laughs> that, um, that ultimately she's going to get revenge against Bhishma. And she takes up this frightening yoga practice which, of austerities, uh, tapasya, and so on. And of course, always within this yoga culture, there's always the idea that tapasya, or austerity, or self-abnegation, self-denial leads to power. And uh, even other sages, other yogis, are, are, are frightened by her determination and, and the power she's acquiring. Finally, when she achieves the power that she wants and is ready to move on to the next life, because in that life she's, you know, she doesn't really have any options, and so she actually.
actually throws herself into the sacrificial fire. And her last words in that life are Bhishma Sivadaya, to the death of Bhishma. Those are her last words. So it's, um, maybe we'll see how she comes back later on. See, then you have to come back to these programs to find out what happened to her. But that's the story of Amba. And so we, in order to sort of give that whole picture, uh, I, I skipped ahead a bit, but that's uh, it's a very powerful story. Meanwhile, back at the Kuru Ranch, uh, there's even... So anyway, so Vichitravirya does marry the two younger girls, Ambika and Ambalika. He marries them, and... Bhishma eventually starts to hear rumors that this girl is doing these terrible austerities and has actually received a boon from Shiva that she will have the power to kill you in the future. So Bhishma is kind of uh, a little concerned about this. Anyway, so Vichitravirya, for another sad story, Vichitravirya, very good-looking young guy, and it said, actually, his... Uh, Later on, Pandu, very important figure, Pandu, who was, who was the legal son of Vichitravirya through Dharma, not genetically. But he will remember that his father, Vichitravirya, when he was young, he only cared about Dharma. And after he got married, he only cared about, basically, his prolonged honeymoon. So after he married, he basically went into the royal bedchambers and didn't come out for a while. And he became so involved with these girls that it, it said that the text says that he sort of sort of so overindulged in, in personal gratification that he got a disease which essentially is called yakshma and used to be called uh, consumption and now is known as tuberculosis. So he got this disease and he died. He was a young man Still, he was hadn't been married that long, and he left these two young widows, young beautiful girls, and suddenly the great Kuru dynasty was in a full crisis. This dynasty, which you read about in the Mahabharata, which had come down for century after century after century, which had protected the world, which had uh, protected Dharma in the world. And in a sense, although people didn't know it at that time, was actually the bulwark was actually protecting the world against these asuras who were taking birth there. And suddenly, Bhishma, who had vowed not to marry and was extremely serious about his vows, and the last legitimate heir of the Kuru throne was dead. So this was a uh, an unprecedented crisis for the Kuru dynasty. Now, Satyavati, Satyavati uh, technically was Bhishma's mother, although he's probably younger than her, and he'd actually originally come and gotten her for um, his father. But, again, by law and so on and so forth, she was the queen mother. She was the widow of Shantanu, and so she felt the responsibility to do something. 
Because from her point of view, I married into this great Guru dynasty, and now everything is just collapsing. This has never happened before. And so she talks to Bhishma. She has a private conversation, and she tells him that I respect your vow, but to save this dynasty, to save this dynasty and, and, and to protect Dharma in the world, you have to accept the widows of your brother. There's no other way. And at that point, Bhishma gives a famous speech to achieve, declines this extraordinary opportunity. <laughs> He gives a speech in which basically he says, I don't care if the whole planet blows up or the universe, you know, I don't know, goes haywire or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to break my vow. Now, it's interesting. I, I want, we just have a couple of minutes and then we'll continue tomorrow. But it's very interesting because uh, we can look at the characters of Mahabharata, such as Bhishma and later Krishna and others, and we can easily discern different moral philosophies. Uh, so Bhishma, at this point in his life, he's, his moral philosophy is what... Excuse me. <laughs> his moral philosophy, that's not his moral philosophy, is what would be called in Western philosophy act-based ethics, or deontological ethics is another name for it. And uh, Immanuel Kant actually helped us Amazingly enough, when you hear what it is, you'll see how amazing it is. And it's the idea that, that the act itself is moral or immoral, and you must disregard any possible or even probable consequences. In other words, uh, that's what Beesman says. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. I'm, it's the act itself. I gave my word, I'll keep my word. If that causes the world to go crazy, that's not my problem. It's the act itself. Fortunately, this is not Krishna's moral philosophy. As we will see later in, in the Mahabharata, uh, Krishna's position is very strongly the consequences of an act are part of the act. In other words, when you do something and you know there will be certain consequences, uh, then the moral quality of your decision is based on the act and its consequences, not just the act alone. And Krishna actually later in the Mahabharata, just to sort of jump ahead for a second, will tell Bhishma the story, this is much later on, many, many, many years later, of a sage who was proud of always telling the truth. If anyone asked him a question, he would give an honest answer. And one time these sort of innocent people came running in terror through his ashram, which was outside the town. And uh, they were being pursued by, by murderous thieves. So they, they hid in the forest, and then these thieves, these murderous thieves came to the sage, knowing his honesty, and said, do you know where the people hid? Yes. Where did they hide? Oh, they're over there, behind the trees. And the criminals then went and killed them. Krishna then told Bhishma that that sage, because he told the truth, went to hell. Because he knowingly caused the death of innocent people. 
So it's just, anyway, that's just a, a thing on different moral philosophies, and bees will eventually under, come around, actually, and, and become a great devotee of Krishna. But in any case, at this point, Bhishma is, you know, it's just the act itself, nothing else matters. He refuses to marry, refuses to beget heirs to the Kuru throne. Uh, Satyavati is in full panic now. And Bhishma then tells her that there is another solution. And we'll talk about that.